today, I want you to be aware that God's here. And, and that's a good thing. I don't want you to be freaked out by that, but that's a good thing. That's a good thing that God is here. And I, I want us to have that tension that the people felt when God said, I want you to delight in my presence. I want you to delight in his presence, his fullness of joy. That's what we want. But he also said, I want you to tremble in my presence. And so there's that tension, there's that balance of knowing that there's an awe and a wonder in the presence of God where you are not taking it lightly. And yet in his presence, the Bible says there's pleasures evermore. It says there's fullness of joy. So I don't know if you've experienced this, but I know I experienced it when my son was born, I probably, that was probably the closest thing I could describe it as. When my son was born and I held him for the first time, it's not fair because the dad gets to sometimes hold the kid before the, the mother really gets the time, right? Mom was being worked on. I got to, I got to take care of the, to Moses for that, those first couple moments. And I remember all the things I was feeling at once. I was giggling. I don't giggle. I'm not a giggler. I don't think I'm a giggler. But I was giggling. There was such just joy. And yet there was like, ah. Even in that moment, not just like I could drop this baby, but just the awe of like, I'm a dad. This is a kid. This is a human. I'm responsible for this human. And so all of those things are happening at the same time. There was awe. There was joy. There was sort of like that trembling and delight at the same time. And, and amplify that by a thousand. And you might come close to how we really are meant to feel in the presence of God. And so I'm praying that today we don't take lightly the presence of God, but that we also know that in his presence is joy. And I want you to have some joy this morning. I'd love for you to read with me uh, Luke chapter 24. Today is a special day. If you were with us last week, we kind of we jumped the gun. And we talked about Pentecost Sunday the week before Pentecost Sunday, um, just so that we could kind of prepare for it. And if you're not familiar with what Pentecost Sunday is, uh, the, in the Old Testament, God had three feasts. Now, he had many feasts, but he had three feasts that were particularly pilgrimage feasts. These are the feasts that you travel to Jerusalem for. One was Passover. One was what we now call Pentecost, which is just uh, the Greek word for it, which Greek word means 50th. It was the 50th day from the first day of Passover, and you'd bring a grain, off, grain offering to the Lord and then there was another one called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tents or the Feast of Tabernacles, it's sometimes called. That's the one where Jesus showed up in Jerusalem and they were pouring out water in the well, drawing water from the well. And Jesus stood up and said, if anybody's thirsty, let them come to me and drink from the wells of Yeshua. And I, everyone who drinks of me will never thirst again, but out of their innermost will flow rivers of living water. So those are the three pilgrimage feasts. 50 days after Passover. Now, we know Passover in the Old Testament looked back to God delivering his people from Egypt. When death passed over them, they put blood on their door, the blood of a lamb specifically on their doorposts, and the angel of death passed over their homes. That was a picture of the blood of Jesus over us, that death has now passed over us because of his blood shed for us, the perfect, sinless lamb of God. That was the first Passover, and yet Passover was not just a celebration of the past. It was foretelling something in the future because Jesus did become our Passover lamb. He died for us that death would pass over us. In the same way Pentecost was looking back, God was faithful. God gave us a harvest, but it also looked forward because uh, thousands of years later, after Jesus had risen from the dead, after he had ascended to the Father, he told them, wait in Jerusalem, and I'm going to send you a promise of the Father. I'm going to send you the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. Read this with me in Luke chapter 24, right near the end of the book. Jesus has already been alive or out of the grave. He's been spending time with them. He went fishing with them. He cooked breakfast for them, but now he's giving them instructions because he's about to ascend to the Father. Now, I just want you to put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Jesus had died, and it messed them up. It really wrecked them when Jesus died because nobody was sitting with popcorn at the tomb going, he said he'd get up. Let's wait for that. Everybody was afraid. 
Everybody forgot that he was going to rise from the dead, or they, they weren't thinking it was going to happen. So they were all hidden in their homes. They were all locked away for fear of the people. They thought, well, if, if they killed Jesus, it's a good shot they'll kill me too. They were in Jerusalem, which is the city that yelled, crucify him, the most dangerous city for them to be in at the time. But then Jesus shows up alive, and he spends many days with them, teaching them about the kingdom, and showing them in the scripture that this is what was supposed to happen, that, that Messiah was supposed to suffer. This was part of the plan, and, and, and God has fulfilled it, and now I'm alive. But then he said, I'm going to go. I'm, I, he said what he told them before he was crucified. He reiterated, I'm going to go to the Father. He's about to ascend. And just if you were one of them, and Jesus said, Hey, it's been great hanging with you. I, I'm glad I got to spend time with you after the resurrection. I've taught you some things. I've, I've opened your eyes to some things, but I'm about to go. Was there anybody in the room that would be like, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm glad you're leaving Jesus. Why don't you go on and get out of here? Go on, get now. None of us would think that's a good idea. Jesus said in John, it's good for you if I go away. And even when I hear that today, I know that's true. But there's a part of me that knows if Jesus were standing right here and he said, hey, how about I hang out a little bit longer? I'd be like, yeah, that's good. Do you want me to leave? No, I don't want you to leave. How, I mean, for us to believe, it's good for you that I'm not physically here. But he tells them why. Because if I go to my Father, I will send my spirit to you. Like if you had a choice today, guys, if you had a choice if Jesus were physically right here, standing in the room, and he said, I'm giving you a choice. I can stay, but I'm going to remove my spirit from each of you. Would you take that deal? It'd be tough to say no, right? Because you're thinking, well, it's Jesus. But he says, this is what you need. It's good for you if I go away, because then I'll send my spirit. So instead of one man who's ministering to billions around the world, instead, now we have millions, billions of people full of his spirit that are full of his life, that he hasn't left us. He hasn't abandoned us. In fact, he said, and we're going to read it later, I will not leave you as orphans, but I'm going to come to you. And so here, he's preparing them for this in Luke chapter 24. And he says in verse 44, then he spoke to them and said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and of the prophets and of the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Can you just pause there and understand this is what God wants to do for you this morning? He wants to open your mind to understand the scriptures. Amen. Now, you might think, well, that's what we have a pastor for. You open up the scriptures for us. I want to tell you, the Bible says there is one teacher you need. It's the Holy Spirit. And so even when God gives us teachers and preachers and prophets and evangelists, e even then, they're not replacing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's your teacher. And so you can open your Bible at home and say, Spirit, Holy Spirit, show me what I need to see. Open your word to me, and God will do it because he's a good teacher, right? And so that's what he did. He opened their minds to understand the scripture, and they saw it. They, for the first time, they got it. You know, they got it. All of these scriptures were talking about him. And it was a lot of Jewish kids would grow up believing that the Messiah was just that, that divine Rambo that would come and make everything right and kick all the bad guys out and just make things, you know, make things like they were meant to be. Lord, you're going to come and, and you're going to overthrow our enemies and you're going to restore the kingdom. But what they didn't ever see was that the Messiah would have to suffer, that the Messiah would have to die. It wasn't in the plan. So... That's why Paul says to the cross is a stumbling block. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block because how could the Messiah die like a criminal? To the Gentiles, it was a stumbling block because, you know, I mean, how could somebody, first of all, die and rise from the dead? But this guy is just a guy that the Romans killed. How could that be power? And so this was a trick, something that, that they tripped over. But once they opened, he opened their minds, they understood it. They got it. And then he says, thus it is written that the Messiah, the Christ, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And, that's really cool, because the gospel has an and. Right? He, he, he died, he rose from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name 
to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem, you are the witnesses of these things. In other words, you're the guys that are going to go do that. So he says, here's, here's what the scripture told us. The scripture told us that the Messiah would have to suffer. The scripture told us that he would die. But the scripture told us he'd rise again. And then he said, and the scripture told us that this would be proclaimed to all nations. And he goes, you're the witnesses. You're the ones that are going to carry that word. You're the ones that are going to carry that message. You're the ones that are going to tell everybody about it. So now he, they've just received their mission. They've received their orders. They've received their purpose. Because remember, he's already told them, I'm leaving. This is, you. This is up to you guys. You ever think about the fact that, that we are called the body of Christ, not a body of Christ, but the body of Christ? He doesn't have another body. We're it. Do you ever think about the fact that whatever Jesus does on the earth, he wants to use people to get it done? Read the book of Acts, right? How many times in the book of Acts do you see Jesus just going out and doing the work and, and preaching the gospel and healing the sick and all that? No, in the book of Acts, you see the church doing it. You see people doing it. You, in fact, see Jesus going to great lengths to get people to do it. You see uh, Paul knocked down on the road to Damascus by Jesus, but even Jesus doesn't, doesn't finish the job. He says, no, you go find this believer named Ananias, and he's going to lay hands on you, and you'll be filled with the Spirit, and he'll show you where to go. When it was time for a, a Gentile, the first Gentile, the first non-Jewish guy to receive the gospel, it was a soldier named Cornelius who was a centurion. That means he was in charge of a hundred other Roman soldiers. He was an Italian, it says. And it came time that he, he'd been giving to the, the church. He'd been praying. Uh, but he himself wasn't even allowed to go into the temple that he gave towards because he was a Gentile. And the Lord said, an angel appeared to him and said, Cornelius, your prayers and your giving have risen as a memorial before God. God heard your prayers. God saw your giving. And he said, I want you to go to a man named Simon the Tanner. I want you to send some guys to his house, and you're going to find another guy named Simon, Simon Peter, and you're going to bring him back to your house, and he's going to show you the way to go. On the other hand, God had to appear to Peter and give him a vision three separate times. Anybody have to get that kind of vision from God? Like one, once you're like, no, nah, I don't think so. Twice, maybe. Finally, three times you get it. Anybody have to be hammered over the head a couple times? Just me? God gives Peter the same vision, not a different one, same vision, three times. Tells him, what I've cleansed, you don't get to call unclean. Three times. And then three guys knock on the door and say, we were told that an angel told our boss to come get you. I know it sounds crazy. <laughs> and Peter's like, no, I know. Do you, do you see how easier, much easier this story would have been had the angels just done it? They just preached the gospel? Had they just led Cornelius to the Lord? But no, they do all of this because God wants to use people. God wants to use people. God doesn't just want to use people with microphones, people that stand on a platform. God wants to use his church, the entire body of Christ. That's why the Holy Spirit's not just given to a select few. It's given to everyone who's calling on the name of the Lord. Everyone that comes to Christ is, is a recipient of that spirit and can be filled and should be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I need you to get it out of your head that the people that do the work of ministry, the people with microphones, or the people on platforms, or the people that have a, a, some sort of degree, or the people that have got a license to marry people, and I want you to get it into your head that the entire body of Christ is meant to be full of the Spirit doing the work of ministry. And that includes you. That you should and are a man or a woman of God. That's your identity. And if you say, well, I'm not there yet. Well, come on, today we can get there. Here's what he says. He said, this is what I'm saying. You're the witnesses of these things. And behold, in other words, pay attention. I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city, the city you don't want to stay in, the city you hate, the city you can't wait to get out of. But stay in this city until you are clothed with power from on high. Okay, so he gave him a mission. You guys are going to tell everybody about me. But don't do it without the spirit. Don't do it until you're clothed with power. 
I want you to know, we've been talking about, last week we talked about Jesus being Lord, Christ and Lord. He's the boss. He's the one that runs it. He's not only just Lord of my life, he's Lord of all. He's Lord of everything. That's what we get to proclaim. Jesus is Lord. And because he's Lord of all, we understand that right now the world is still broken, right? He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. Hasn't happened yet. We understand that the world at large is still in rebellion against God. That's why things are still so messed up. There's such deep darkness on the planet right now. But it's not because Jesus isn't Lord. It's because there's still people that haven't bowed their knee. But one day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what the Bible tells us. And I believe that. I believe he'll create a new heaven and a new earth. I believe he will deal with death. I believe he will deal with sin and death once and for all and with Satan once and for all. I believe there will be a day, like the scripture tells us, that war will end. The swords will be beaten into plowshares. I believe there will be a day when the lion and the lamb will lay down together. I believe there will be a day when the child will stick his hand in an adder's nest and will not fear because everything will be made right. Right now, I get to freely bow my knee. Nobody's forcing me. I bow my knee to the Lord. Someday, everybody will. But right now, you've chosen Jesus as Lord. So you are experiencing the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then you know the kingdom of God has come upon you. He said, wherever you go, you preach you, you preach the gospel, you heal the sick, you raise the dead, you cleanse the lepers, you cast out evil spirits, freely you receive, now freely you give. And you tell them, every village you go to, you tell them, the kingdom of God came to your village today. And so he talks about a kingdom. There's a kingdom coming, we know this, but there is a kingdom right now that we've submitted to, that we said you have it. So uh, let's look at this. He says, You've, you've got mission. You've got your orders. You're going to proclaim, I'm Lord. You're going to proclaim, I'm alive. You're going to tell the good news to everybody you meet, but you don't get to do it yet. Wait until you are clothed with power. Don't try it. Don't move until you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Can anybody tell me what was the event that marked the beginning of Jesus' ministry? What was the, the big event that started everything? The baptism, I hear some water baptism, I hear water, I hear, yeah. Water, the moment he was baptized by John, that was the beginning of his ministry, right? That's what the scripture tells us. And so what happened at the baptism? He was baptized in water, and then something happened. You guys remember? The Holy Spirit came and descended on him like a dove. You know, sometimes we think it was an actual dove. It doesn't say it was an actual dove. It just says it was like a dove. Thank God the Holy Spirit's not a bird, right? You ever like think, oops, I accidentally shoot away the Holy Spirit. I just didn't want to poop it on my car. No, the Holy Spirit ascended like, descended like a dove. So in the same way a dove would descend, that was what the Holy Spirit did. And then rested on Jesus. And John said, that's how I knew you were the one. That's how I knew it. Because God told me that when I saw the Holy Spirit come on somebody and stay on him, that's the Messiah. So John the Baptist said, that's how I knew. So once the Holy Spirit came and descended on Jesus, then the Bible tells us, then he went full of the Spirit into the wilderness. Then he went and did the work of ministry. But not until the Holy Spirit had descended. Not until the Holy Spirit had remained. So he's telling the same thing to his disciples. I've given you a mission. I've taught you. I've led you. I've trained you for this. But don't try it without the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, if we were to go to Luke's second book, do you know Luke is, the book of Luke is part one, and the book of Acts is part two. Same guy wrote it, and he calls Acts the second account. He wrote it to a guy named Theophilus, which we don't know if that was a real man's name or if it was a pseudonym or if it just, I mean, Theophilus just means friend of God. So if you're saying, hey, whoever's reading this is a friend of God, or if it was a specific person, that was high in government, that couldn't use his real name, so he just called him Theophilus. But either way, he wrote the book of Luke, which is the story of Jesus through eyewitness accounts. Because Luke was a really studied historian. He was a physician, but he was, he was, an, he was really good as a historian. He, 
He wrote differently than the other gospel writers. And so he would say in the year, uh, in, in this year of Augustus's reign or in the year where Quirinius was governor, like he, he'd be really um, careful to let you know where you are in history. And he went and he got eyewitness accounts of people that were with Jesus and he wrote the book of Luke. But he begins the book of Acts with these words. In my first account, dear Theophilus, I told you of all that Jesus began to do and to teach from the time of his beginning of his ministry to his resurrection. The book of Acts starts by saying that the beginning of Jesus' ministry was the gospel. The beginning of Jesus' ministry was the story I told from his birth to his resurrection. What he's telling you is this next book I'm about to write is the continuation of Jesus' ministry. Do you realize that the resurrection only marked the beginning of Jesus' ministry? Because the continuation of Jesus' ministry is happening through his church, through his body. So the book of Acts is the continuation of what Jesus is doing. So he tells a story about how Jesus is walking with his disciples. And he's, he's alive and he's about to ascend. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, we know what baptism means, right? Because we, you know, it's, it's, it's common enough now that we, we understand what baptism means. The Greek word here that we get our word for baptism from is baptizo, and it means to immerse, fully immerse something. It was a word that they used in the trade. It was a trade word that they used um, for people that dyed fabrics, for instance. That's one way they'd use it. So if you were a dyer of fabrics and you wanted to make a garment purple, you would dunk that garment in purple dye until it was fully saturated. Then when you pulled it out, the garment is purple, right? So the idea of baptism was you are fully immersed into Christ's death and you come out fully into his resurrection. So the idea was, you know, <laughs> there was a story of, of a Roman soldier that held his hand out while he was being baptized because he said, this hand I still need to use to kill people, so I'm not being baptized in this hand. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We did a, we did a kind of a secret baptism in Vietnam because it was illegal because the government is communist and they're not usually for the church. Um, they're against the church in many areas. And so I baptized 30 people in Vietnam after a church service in this concrete basin. And uh, it was wonderful. The only problem is this water basin was not being continually filled. So we started with the water about right here. And we can't, there's not room to dunk somebody like this because it's too small. So we kind of have to like squat into the water, right? That's how we have to do it. Um, which is going fine, but, but by the time you get to the 29th, 30th person, a lot of the water that was in the tank is not in the tank anymore. <laughs> People have taken the water with them, right? They're, they're drenched. So there is a lot less water than when we started. And the last people to be baptized were these old ladies that had received Jesus. I mean, it's such an exciting thing. I love seeing multiple generations come to the Lord. Like, it's, it's, it's super exciting. But you should have put the old ladies first. Because now, these old ladies have less water than anybody's had. And they got to somehow get down under the water. So, you know, I'm trying to, they've asked me to be the one that's baptizing, so I'm baptizing. The pastor's right there, uh, kind of helping and overseeing. And so I'm baptizing these women. Um, but the, they're not really getting under the water. They're trying their best. Their bones are cracking. And they're, they're kind of <laughs> squatting down. I'm like, Ugh. I feel like I'm, you know, like... I don't want to act like I'm drowning a puppy or something like I'm like pushing him down it's weird you know I don't want to do that and a couple of them came up and the tops of their heads were still dry they came up and I was like well the Lord understands and the pastor went nope and he didn't speak English that well so he said it in Vietnamese he didn't say anything to me he just motioned like no nope, do it again I'm like just have mercy on these guys right because, I mean, I'm trying my best. There's not a lot of water here. I don't want to kill these ladies, you know. I don't want to break any bones. And so we finally get down. We just start to work up a wave where we can get enough of a wave that it finally just drenches them and they come up. 
And as awkward as that was, I understood why the pastor made such a big deal of it. Now, we know the early church, if you read books like the Didache, which was the, the, the teachings that were passed on to the early church fathers, you know that they had allowances. They said, you know, baptize them in a river. If you can't find a river, find a, a, a body of water or a pool of water. If you can't find that, you, if you can't find any bodies of water, you're, you're stuck in the underground, he said, and then you can sprinkle them three times. But, you know, they, so they had some allowances. But I understood why the pastor was saying, you know, get them fully wet. Because the idea of baptism is there's no part of me that's not drenched. There's no part of me that's not identified with Christ. There's no part of me that didn't die with him. And there's no part of me that's not alive with him. So apply that to what he just said about the Holy Spirit. John baptized you with water, but not many days from now, I will baptize you. I will drench you. I will dunk you and immerse you in the Holy Spirit. And when you come out, you are going to be full. Not one part of you is going to be, this is me. This is my me part. And this is the spiritual side of me. And this, we do this a lot in our culture. We divide our life up into segments and we go, well, this is my spiritual side. You got to make time for your spiritual side. And then this is this and this is this. But, you know, Jesus didn't have these divisions. He just had life. He just did life. And sometimes it got messy. Sometimes he was trying to rest and people ran to meet him. And he, he ended up doing ministry when he was trying to get a vacation. And, and there was other times where he's, he's doing work. And there's other times where it seems like he's just having a, a good time. But he's doing it and he's teaching at the same time. He's fishing, but he's teaching. All of his, his life was just lived for the glory of God. His life was lived full of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you today that that's the way your life can be too. Full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He goes on and he says this in verse 6. The question that they ask, they say when they come together, they ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because their whole idea about the Messiah, they realize, look, we missed the part where you were supposed to die. But we know that the Messiah is supposed to restore the kingdom to Israel. And we're under oppression. We're an occupied state right now. And you can't think this is right. So when are you going to do that? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. Now what they're asking for is, when are you restoring power back to Israel? When are you restoring our position of power and authority back? And Jesus says, I'm not talking about that right now because that's up to the Father and, and you don't get to know when he's going to do that. But, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So, you see, they're asking about the earthly kingdom. He's turning their attention to the invisible kingdom, the heavenly kingdom. And he says, I want you to pay attention. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And after this, he ascends. But this is the promise. You're going to be my witnesses. This is similar to what he said. This is the same thing he said in Luke. You're going to be my witnesses, but it's got to happen after you've received the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. You can't do a thing that God has called you to do. We talk about Jesus being Lord. You're Lord. You're the boss. Whatever you say goes. But I'm here to tell you, you can't follow Jesus. You can't keep his commands. You can't love your neighbor as you love yourself. You can't love your enemies without the power of the Holy Spirit. God didn't call you to do this in the flesh. He calls you to do it in the spirit. He anointed you. He equipped you. So when you try to do it yourself, you're frustrated. We try to do the things in the spirit that you can only do, or we try to do the things in the flesh that you can only do by the spirit. When I was ordained 18 years ago in Loon Lake, Saskatchewan, we filled that church. It was so cool. It was a great time, and Pastor Tracy Harris came and, and preached the ordination service. And um, I remember clearly, I, there's a lot of that that's fuzzy to me, but I remember this part clearly. It'll stick with me for the rest of my life. Pastor Tracy laid his hands on me. And others came and gathered and put their hands on me and prayed over me. Then he began to speak from the Spirit of God, and he said this, Son, whatever you do, do it in the power of God. 
He said it again. Whatever you do, do it in the power of God. And when he said do it, it was like somebody punched me in the gut. Like it hit me hard. And I remember that over and over again. And I remember, I, I remember standing up to preach feeling like I am ill-equipped for this. I'm not the guy. I never said, Lord, I don't know why you have me here. I'm not the guy you want here. I should be doing something else. And I would remember that whatever you do, do it in the power of God. And that's what God has called us to when, we, when he said, I'm going to send you as my witnesses, but don't do it. Don't do it for me until you can do it with me. You're not meant to do this without power. That's why the church didn't start preaching to Jerusalem until they were clothed with power. That's why they didn't leave the upper room until they were clothed with power. Then they had something to say. We don't have anything to say until the Spirit gives us something to say. We don't have any power to do it until the Spirit gives us power to do it. And maybe you've heard stories of some men and women of God, and you look at them and you go, wow, man, if they would just come to my area. Man, if, if I was alive when they were alive, that would be awesome. And what you have to understand is that they didn't do anything except by the Spirit of God. And so if they did anything great, it was the Spirit of God doing it, and that's the same Spirit you have. And the Bible says this, if the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, It'll make alive your physical body. So I've got I've to live in the reality that the same, the same. I, I'm not living off copy number 2041 of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit. I, I've heard people say, oh, I just want to get that person's anointing. You know, that person's anointing, it's just the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. We're not chasing a person's anointing. We're not chasing a person's giftings. We're not chasing, chasing a person saying, I wish I could be like them. What you should want to be like. Now, imitate their faith. The Bible tells us that. Imitate their faith. But let me tell you who you want to be like. You want to be like Jesus. We're his disciples. And the Holy Spirit will enable you to do that. See, nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God, the Bible says. Do you know what that means? It's not just like the words, Jesus is Lord, like you couldn't say them except by the Holy Spirit. It, it really, to me, it's, it's emphasizing like you could not truly confess him as Lord and live it out if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't be able to give your life to him. You wouldn't have been able to get saved if not for the Holy Spirit. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't do anything without the Holy Spirit. So when you receive Jesus, you receive his Spirit. But how many of you know that the church didn't just receive a touch from the Spirit of God? They got full. They got dunked. I think for some of us, you look back and you remember those days. You remember a day when you felt like you got dunked in the Spirit. And oh, I wish I could feel that again. I wish I could experience that again. There is absolutely no reason in the world that you can't. You know that, right? The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak utterances. As the Spirit gave them utterances, they began to speak in other tongues. It said that 3,000 people were gathered, and each one of them heard the whole group speaking in their language. So there was a miracle of interpretation. Not just a miracle of speaking, but a miracle of interpretation. Because it doesn't say, well, we each hear somebody speaking our language. It says, how are each of us hearing them speak our language? I hear him speaking Greek. You hear him speaking Arabic. How's that happening? God is, in, is doing a miracle of interpretation. And what's happening there is that there's a boldness that's come on them. There's, they're, they're praising God. They're doing what they couldn't do. But have you ever felt like you were just on the outside looking in, that everybody else seems to get what's going on, but I don't? To me, this is all chaos. To me, it's just weird. Now, some people, can I just put a disclaimer? Some people are weird. <laughs> and they blame it on the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit's fault. <laughs> Sometimes we bring our weird and we, we try to baptize our weird and say, Lord, this is you. And he goes, no, nah, it wasn't me. Bless your heart. Uh, you know. <laughs> but then again, I got to say, if you read some of the stuff that happened in the book of Acts, you'd have been freaked out. If you saw Jesus spit in the mud and rub it in somebody's eye, you'd be freaked out. So let's just be honest. Most of the Bible would be very weird to us if we were living it. We've just read it enough times it doesn't seem weird anymore. <laughs> so let's not call it weird, but let's say sometimes we're unacquainted. 
If you went to an Edmonton Elks game for the first time, let's say you didn't know anything about football, never watched football, your friend brought you, you didn't know what was going on, but instead, all of a sudden, you found yourself, instead of sitting in the stands, you were on the field. Quarterback hikes the ball, play starts, this guy runs this way, this guy runs this way, this guy's doing a button hook, quarterback's drawn back, all these people are seeming to be chaotic, running all over the place, and you go, this doesn't make sense, it's disorder. And yet, if you were the coach that drew up that play, no, everybody's got their place. This guy's supposed to run this way. This guy's supposed to run this way. This guy's supposed to drop back. This guy's supposed to block. All of this makes sense because they know there's somebody that designed this play. We're running it out. But if you were just put in the middle of it, you'd be like, no, this is crazy. This is chaos. Sometimes when you first come into the things of God, it feels like that. You go, this can't, this doesn't make sense. But to God, he, he designed the play. If we're moving by a spirit, you realize that a team, that football team, they're running in different directions, but they're moving as one unit. They're not just saying, this is what I feel like doing. They're going, they're, they're complementing one another. They're working together. And so when, when you see 3,000 people who are devout, they're seeking God, and the Holy Spirit's poured out, and people begin to speak in other tongues, those 3,000 people hear what God is saying, and they're in awe of it. But it says there were others who were mocking, saying they're drunk. So there's always going to be some of us that are, if your heart is open, when your heart's open, even if you don't understand it, you can trust God and say, Lord, this is different for me. This is unusual. This is stretching me. But I, I know it's you, so I'm trusting you. But you can come into any situation mocking or with a hardened heart and what did they hear? They didn't hear those people speaking in their language. They just thought they were drunk. What 3,000 people said they're praising God, this is a miracle, these others were mocking and saying they're drunk. How can both of these crowds exist at the same time? The difference is, the Bible says those 3,000 came looking for God. They were, they were devout. They came for the feast. They came to honor God. But these other ones were there to mock. And I want to tell you, can I just be honest? Sometimes I've been the devout, and sometimes I've been the mocker. And I know when I've come and just mocked and said, no, nah, he doesn't do it that. No, nah, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. That's not how it works. In my own pride, I stopped God from working in my life. I thought I knew better. I thought if I fully understand this, then I can be in some sort of control, because I don't like being out of control. But if I'm going to say Jesus is Lord, I have to get used to the fact that he's in control. And if the Lord is the spirit, as it says in 2 Corinthians, and the spirit is Lord, and where the spirit of the Lord is, or where the spirit is Lord, there is freedom. And a veil comes off my face, and I can see clearly. That's what it says. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And when the spirit of the Lord is there, now a veil falls off, and you can see the glory of God clearly. And so we've all been in that place. You know, we have people that come to church for the first time. And, and I remember we had a series of our church life where Wednesday nights, for some reason it was Wednesday nights, there'd be people that would just sit back there and cry. We just have people sit in the back and cry. I'm like, what am I doing wrong that I'm making these people cry? <laughs> they come up and they say, the Lord is just working on my heart. And, and many times those people have been hurt. Maybe they're hurt in church. Maybe they didn't know God. Sometimes there's people that were, had yet to come to the Lord. They were new believers. And it was like God was working on their hearts. They were just laid out and broken before him. And it was an amazing the way God, just sitting in the presence of God, changed them. But then I know other people, and they'll tell me their story, and they'll be like, I love Jesus, and I love this church, and I love the Holy Spirit. I love you. I love all these people. But the first three Sundays, oh, I was ticked off, and I just wanted to get out of there. I was so angry. I wanted to leave, and oh, I made myself stay, but oh, I hate this, you know? And, and I can identify with both groups because when the Spirit is Lord, it's going to poke areas of you that you don't want poked, <laughs> going to be uncomfortable for you because I don't understand that yet and I want to understand things because if I understand it I can control it but when the spirit's in control sometimes you got to say I don't get it but I trust you Lord and so <laughs> thank God that those that were wanting to run out angry 
stayed. Sometimes I've been that guy too. And can you imagine being these people in this moment, experiencing all these things for the first time? The Bible says they were continually filled with a sense of awe. That awe is just a positive way of being freaked out, right? A sense of awe is like, I don't get it. It's wonderful, but I don't understand it. This is all beyond me. I want you to remember that if Jesus told them not to do anything until they were clothed with power, then don't you think Jesus is still saying that today? Whatever you do, do it in the power of God. Don't do anything. Jesus said, I don't make a move unless the Father does it. I don't, I don't, I don't speak unless the Father first says it. I only do what I see him doing. Jesus, perfect man. Fully God, fully man, the most perfect human that will ever live, said, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. So who are we to say that's a bad idea? Who are we to say, I've got a better idea than Jesus? If Jesus didn't make up his own mind, if he said, Father, show me, then how much more should we? If Jesus didn't do ministry without the Holy Spirit, then why would we try to do ministry without the Holy Spirit? Why would we try to do anything without the Holy Spirit? And so maybe you need to broaden your idea of what ministry is. Because maybe if, you, if for you, ministry is when they let you stand on the stage and give you a microphone, then you've got a very narrow form of ministry. But I'd love for you to just blow that wide open and know that your job is a mission field. And know that the lake is a mission field. And everything you do, God wants to work through you. So I want to read you something in John that... Um, just so, you know, if you read John 14, 15, 16, and 17, you should read that like today when you get home. Um, but it's the last things that Jesus said before he was arrested to his disciples. And he, he's telling them what life's going to be like. And he, he's he breaking the news to them that he's going to die and that he's going to rise and that he's going to leave them and he's going to the Father's house to prepare a place for them. And he says, where I'm going, you can't go yet, but you will go there. He tells them because he said these things, sorrows filled their heart. You know, they're, they're struggling with it, but he's telling them how this new life's going to be. You're going to abide in me. You're going to bear much fruit. You're going to, whatever you ask, you're going to do it in my name. He's, he's, he's giving them all of this. And I want you to see this in John chapter 14. Verse 12 says, truly, truly, literally, in the original language, it says, amen, amen. I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Whoever believes in me. Not whoever goes to Bible school. Not whoever is born before 70 AD. But whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And greater works. Greater works than these he will do. Now, that, that's a challenging one for us Christians because we go, how could you do something greater than what Jesus did? But he says, greater works than these will you do because I am going to the Father. Listen, because this is the reason you're going to do the things I do. This is the way you're going to do them. This is why you're going to do it. Because I'm going to the Father. Well, what does that mean? Well, we all know something went up. Someone went up so that someone could come down. What, must up, what goes up must come down, right? Jesus went up so the Holy Spirit could come down. And because I go to my Father, what does he say? Because I go to my Father, I'm going to give you the promise of my Father, which is the Holy Spirit. Guys, this is a promise. This is why, this is why being a follower of Jesus is a lot more than just believing a certain set of doctrine. This is a lot more than just saying, I believe the Bible is true. It's a lot more than just praying a prayer. When you are a follower of Jesus, you are united with Christ. You die with him, you live with him. All of a sudden now, you are not living your own life anymore. But the life you live, you are crucified with Christ. So now the life you live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. Now you are living with his spirit inside of you. Now, the only reason you don't feel that way sometimes is not because the Spirit left you, because he said, I won't leave you. In the Old Testament, they had to pray things like, don't let your Spirit leave me, because the Spirit would, would depart. But in the New Testament, he says, the Spirit will stay with you because he's a pledge of your adoption. Sometimes you wish the Holy Spirit would leave you. 
right? Leave me while I have this argument. You just leave. Come back later. I want to watch this movie on Netflix. Can you just leave? I don't want to feel dirty inside. Leave, Holy Spirit. He doesn't. So that's why we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That's why we honor the Holy Spirit. But that's why you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't want to just have a touch. I want to be full. And to be full of the Holy Spirit means if I'm going to be full of one thing, I'm going to have to be emptied of another thing. To be full of something is going to push other things out, and that's good with me. But here's what he says. He says in verse, um, let's continue in verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you. Another implies, if you look at the way they use that word in the original language, another implies that it's one like you already know. It's, it's, it's like you already know. Another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. What is he saying? He says, you already know him because you've walked with me for three years. And the Holy Spirit's been in me. And everything I did, I did by the Spirit. That's how you already recognize them. You already know what the Spirit is like. Listen, how did they know where to go every day? They followed Jesus, right? How did they trust that they, I mean, if you study the, the three years that the disciples were with Jesus, first year he taught more than anything he taught. Second year, he kind of did show and tell, let them do some things on their own. Third year, he sent them out. This is apprenticeship, right? This is apprenticeship. You're not supposed to say the same thing the whole, your whole life. So first year, just sit down and listen. Second year, all right, I'm going to let you handle the machine a little bit, right? Third year, I'm going to let you do it, but you're not doing it alone. I go with you wherever you go. And so how do I know? How do I know that I can go and do crazy, you know, these crazy things that God called me to do uh, that seem crazy to me because they seem beyond my ability? How do I know? How do the disciples know that they can go to a village and proclaim the kingdom and see the power of the kingdom and cast out demons? Well, they, they know because Jesus told them to go. How, do, how does Peter know to walk on the water? Well, he says, if you tell me to walk on the water, then I will. So all of this stuff they do because Jesus is with them, so they trust that. So they're very brave because he's with us. And now he's saying, it's going to be exactly like that. But it's just going to be with the Holy Spirit. Everything you depend on me for, you're now going to depend on the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and he says, you know how I taught you everything? The Holy Spirit's going to be your teacher now. You know how I led you? Holy Spirit's going to lead you. You know how I gave you the power to go? The Spirit of God's going to empower you. And he says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is the promise the Holy Spirit is the promise that you're not an orphan anymore. That you're not without Jesus. Because here's the fear that the disciples are feeling. He's about to leave. What will we do without Jesus? And he's saying, you're not without me. Here's what I'm doing. I'm sending my spirit, my spirit, to be with you, to be in you, to lead you, to guide you, to empower you, to teach you. That's what he's going to do. Everything you depended on me for, now you depend on the Holy Spirit. So the disciples didn't stop being disciples. They just disciple differently now. They don't see Jesus now, but Peter wrote this. Though we don't see him, we know him and we love him. And because we love him, we rejoice with joy inexpressible. He said that in the midst of persecution. He said, we don't see him, but we know him and we love him. And that love and that knowledge that he's with us causes joy that we can't even express. That's your reality. That's the Holy Spirit in you. Whatever you do, do it in the power of God. Now, I, I want you to know that, that, remember, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's not a coincidence that right after that, he says, I'm going to send you a helper. Because you can't keep Jesus' commandments without the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I mean, come on, guys. We, we, we know the Old Testament law was hard. Don't, don't we know that? Did you know that nobody could keep it? Everybody failed? Everybody who tried to keep the Old Testament law failed? That's what the Bible says. It says all of our righteousness was filthy rags. We tried. We failed. 
And yet when Jesus comes along, he doesn't say, you know, the Old Testament says this, but you guys, you guys are wimps. I'm not going to make you do it. There were things he did away with that that time had passed on. Absolutely. You're not under the law anymore. You're under grace. But what did he say? He said, you've heard the law say you should love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? Yes. But I say to you, love your enemies. What? I, was, I couldn't even do my neighbor. I couldn't even love my neighbor. I couldn't even like treat my neighbor right. I'm annoyed when they're mowing the lawn at seven in the morning. Now you got, now I got to love my enemies. Pray for those that persecute me. Oh, man. He says, you know, uh, here's the reality. You know, this is what the law says you can give. But I'm telling you this. This is what the law says. But I tell you this. And it's like, Jesus, you just, you're, you're making it bigger. And, and, and how, how would anybody do that? And then he says, if you're weary and if you're tired, if you're heavy laden, you've tried and you've failed, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Is it? Seems like you're asking a lot of me, Jesus. But he says, no, you're yoked with me. My yoke is on you. I'm going to send you a helper. You're not, you're not supposed to do this by yourself. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. So if I can't love my enemy, and I can't, the Holy Spirit can. And the Spirit of God in me says, now love your neighbor, love your enemy. Pray for those that persecute you. It's the spirit of power. I can't do any of these miracles. I can't preach the gospel with any sort of clarity and boldness. I can't proclaim Jesus like the disciples did. Yes, you can by the spirit of God. It's the spirit of power. I can't overcome addiction. I can't come out of my sin. I can't break these habits and these cycles that I keep falling out to. Yes, it's a spirit of power. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So absolutely you can. But you can't do it by yourself. We get in trouble when we try to do things in the flesh that we should be doing by the Spirit. Can I tell you a quick story? Somebody said yes, so yeah, I'm going to take that. You only need one yes, right? Everybody else is like, ah. Um, when I was a kid growing up in Loon Lake, um, there was a woman who had invited through various rituals had invited several spirits that she thought in her understanding before she knew Jesus, she thought these, these spirits are just helpers. They're, they're supposed to help me. But in reality, what she did was she opened herself up to a bunch of evil spirits. She was harassed and oppressed. She came to church wanting to be free. My goodness, if you can't come to church to be free, where can you go, right? She came and she said, I need to be free. These spirits are harassing me. I need to be delivered. So my dad said, all right, today's your day. He began to minister to her, but there was a fellow who was new in the back. And he brought his authorized extra reference, like original OG 1500s King James Bible. Thick Bible, big Bible. The bigger it is, the closer to Jesus you are. When you stand on the word, right? If it's bigger, you're closer to heaven. So, you know, he had a big old Bible. He's not one of you wimps with a slim line. No, no, these are big Bible. It takes two hands to carry practically. And as my dad is about to minister to this woman, this guy gets filled with this boldness that I don't think came from the Spirit of God. And he grabs this big Bible and he comes up behind this lady and just smacks her over the head with it. I mean, the original Bible thumper, this dude was a Bible thumper. <laughs> Do you know, zero evil spirits came out. Zero. All we hear is, ow, you know? And he sheepishly, like, goes back to his seat. <laughs> Tried, failed. And then, you know, actual ministry takes place, and this lady's delivered. She's set free. It's a great story. You know, she's still serving the Lord today. Thank you, Jesus. But what happened was somebody tried to do something by the flesh. You know, we think if we just yell a little bit louder, it's more powerful. Or if I do this, if I use more words. You know what Jesus said? Don't be like the Gentiles who think they're heard because they use more words. Don't, think, don't be like the Jews who think they're heard because they use better words. Right? Do you trust me? 
And so a lot of times, it's, it's, we're striving in our own flesh to get something done. And maybe we're just trying to work up the spirit in our life. Like, you know, I mean, I feel like if I, mm, if I just do this, I just do that, and we're frustrated. And let me tell you, we're meant to be full, and there's something in us that knows I'm meant to be full of the spirit. I shouldn't be just, you know, just, just struggling with a drip here and a drip there of the Holy Spirit. I want to be full, and I'm looking at somebody that's full, and why not me? And that's a wonderful desire. What that should cause you to do is to come boldly in faith, right? And say, Lord, you promised it, so I'm going to receive it. Stir up the gift of God within you, the scripture says. Speak to the well. Jesus said, if you'll drink of me, out of your innermost will flow rivers of living water. And the Bible says, he said this, speaking about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is, the inner, is that rivers of living water that's meant to flow out of you. Paul has told us this. So, so in the Old Testament, I'm about to, about to finish, so hang with me. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were dying of thirst. They didn't have any water, and they were in a dry place where there was no water. And God told Moses, take your staff and strike the rock, and water will come out. Now, that had a very literal fulfillment for them. They were thirsty. They needed a drink. But Paul says in the New Testament, that rock was Christ. That rock symbolized Christ. Well, if the rock symbolized Christ, what did the water symbolize? Jesus said, if you drink of me, out of your innermost will flow rivers of living water. The Bible says that signified the Holy Spirit. So he, Paul says the rock was Christ. That water was the water of the Spirit. Do you know that they came upon a rock another time and they were thirsty again? And God said to Moses, don't strike the rock, speak to the rock. But Moses was so ticked off at people. He was so frustrated. And when we get frustrated, this is when we step out of the spirit and into the flesh. We just try to do it our own self. We're just frustrated. Why? It's taking too long. People aren't coming along. People, people don't get it. I don't get it. Why, is it. why is it so hard? And we get frustrated. We step out of the spirit. And we stop trusting God. We start saying, I got to make it happen. Moses was so ticked off at the stupid people of being just, just slow-hearted and hard-hearted and stiff-necked that he takes his stick and he strikes the rock. Water comes out because God is merciful. But God says to Moses, because of that little stunt you pulled, you're not going into the promised land. You ever wonder why Moses died looking into the promised land? It was because of that. He didn't get to go in because of that. Why? Why was that such a big deal? What did it matter if he spoke to it, he struck it? Same thing happened. Water came out because that rock was supposed to symbolize Christ. And Jesus had to be struck so that you could receive the Spirit. He was killed for you. He was bruised for you. He was murdered on your behalf. But because of his death and his resurrection and his ascension to the Father, you can now receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus will never have to be struck again for you to receive the Spirit. Now, what's necessary for you to be filled again? Speak to the rock. Speak to the well. And God said to the people when they were dying of thirst again, he said, you speak to the well. Say, spring up a well. And he says, now sing to it. Sing to the well. Spring up a well. Paul says in the New Testament, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, teaching one another, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How do we stay full of the Spirit? We get together. We encourage one another. We sing together. We pray together. We get in the Word together. We ask. And Jesus said, if you'll ask the Father for the Spirit, He won't give you anything else. He'll give you exactly what you asked for. Asking you receive. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. And so Jesus doesn't have to die again for you to receive another, another infilling, another filling up of the Spirit. In Acts 2, they were filled with the Spirit. In Acts 4, they said, Lord, we need boldness. And he filled them again. So I'm telling you this morning, and I want you to hear this with all my heart. I want you to hear this. If you are dry, don't sit around saying, God, I guess when you want to hit me again, you'll hit me again. Because he's already done everything he needs to do. The rock has already been struck. Now you speak. Now you ask. Now you knock. Now you say, Lord, fill me. Now you say, out of your innermost, I sing to the well. I speak to the spring up, O well, within me. I was not made to be dry. I was not made to be a desert 
land. I was meant to be watered. The Bible says the man that trusts in the Lord will be like a well-watered garden. I'll be like a, a tree that's planted by the stream whose roots extend to the stream. Even in a time of drought, I will not be dry. If you're saying somewhere inside of you, that's me, I need that. My land is parched. My heart is dry. My mind is dry. My life is dry. I need water. I remember what it was like when, the, when we had those rainstorms, and I, I felt like everything in my life was just fruitful. Where's that gone? What do, I, what do I need to do? Where do I need to go? Do I just need to go to, to this city where they're having revival, or do I need to go over here? Does this person need to do something? And what I'm telling you today is this is a promise for you. God doesn't want anybody to be without his spirit. So if you desire it, you can have it. If you want to be full, you can be full. If you want to stay full, you should stay full. Because we're not meant to do anything without the Holy Spirit. And the struggle that we faced of trying over and over again, that we get so frustrated, we just want to hit the rock, is the struggle of saying, I am trying to do this by my own strength. It's not working. I tried to quit this. I couldn't quit this. I tried to start this. I couldn't start this. I tried to continue this. I'm grown weary. I've tried to pray. There's nothing there. I'm bored. I, I, there's no life in it. I tried to read my Bible. I can't get through it. I tried to love this person that I hate. I can't do it. All of these things, you're trying by the flesh. But whatever you do, do it in the power of God.